different ones. Thank the Lord for his presence and mercy to us. Amen. I had prayed and asked the Lord to send us some new people. And I see some new people back there. I didn't know it was going to be on the night when I got to preach. So, I know I did the first time. He did it somewhere, you know, you're like, you're not used to maybe the order. You're not used to, you don't know, you know. But just relax. We're people just like you. And uh, and our, our Christmas program thing is uh, very, how can I say it, uh, laborious, laborious, how you say that word, because we take it out on the streets. And uh, it is quite a challenge. And so <clears throat> something else. Have you ever prayed as a father or mother? Have you ever prayed and walked around your house for your children? I remember when our children were at home and they were going through their teenage stuff and, and uh, just living, you know. And uh, sometimes I'd get so uh, at the end of my knowing what to say or do. And uh, things like that I don't like to brag about or tell folks that I do it or people see me do it. So sometimes at night I would go outside and I'd just walk around the house. And I'd pray. So uh, it's a privilege. It is a wonderful privilege. And I hope that you do it as a father, as, as parents, because uh, we're in a war, and uh, one day we're going to win this war. I'm on the winning side. Amen. I'm fighting from victory. Amen. Not for victory, necessarily. I'm fighting from victory. And I hope you understand that. And I hope you do that. It is the Christian's privilege to do it. Amen. So... Uh, <clears throat> I hope you get something from the message tonight. Help me, Lord. Turn uh, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1 through 6, and then you can be seated. i got some more verses I'm going to read. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 6. If you can, stand. The reading of the word. Sort of like going to school. Well, I don't know how they do it now, but you have books. You bring your lesson books. You bring your lesson book to church, your Bible. Amen. Exodus chapter 3, 1 through 6. <clears throat> now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priests of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even unto and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. You ever seen one like that? And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. They say in the desert, these fires would break out just spontaneous and little little scrubby thing there would just burn up. The fire would go out. But Moses noticed this one didn't go out. He said, I'm going to go over here and see what's going on. Does the fire of God interest you enough to investigate? And when the Lord saw, he turned aside to see, God called him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Yeah. Moreover, I want you to really notice verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. Notice, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. You may be seated. In this scripture, verse 6 especially, there's so much you could bring out here and preach on. I'm not trying to do that about Moses necessarily. 
but I am trying to do it about God. <laughs> uh, in, in, in the scriptures, and especially in this verse 6 here, uh, we see this repetition, this phrase, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want us to focus on those three men. I wish I had time to go through the whole thing about Abraham and then his son Isaac, then his grandson Jacob. How God worked in their life so great, so differently, but so wonderfully carried out his plan. <clears throat> he chose them. In the Old Testament, it appears first to Moses at the burning bush, God reveals himself. He identifies himself as this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A little later when God sent Moses to announce his plan to Pharaoh, we'll find uh, right there in that same chapter, in verse 15, God said to Moses, Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He repeats the same phrase. He sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Generations are still going on. It's a memorial for us. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 16, the same chapter in Exodus. Go gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I've surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Now let's go to the New Testament. Matthew 22 and 32. He's repeating these scriptures. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. <laughs> Think about it now. He's talking about men that have died years ago. But he said, I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living. Study that out. Mark 12 and 26. And as touching the dead that they rise. I, have you not read in the book of Moses, we just read it, how in the bush God spoke to him and said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right. He's repeating that name, that phrase, that description, that revelation of him working with men yes. over and over. Uh, and Luke, now that Luke 20 and 37 now that the dead are raised, in other words, they're going to be raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord God of Abraham and the, when he calleth the Lord God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Saw it in Exodus. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. When they ask, who sent you? Right above this scripture in 3 and 15 of, of uh, <clears throat> Exodus, he told Moses, they're going to ask, who sent you? And here's what you tell them. I am that I am. He revealed himself there. But he said in verse 15 and 16, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament, verse 30 through 32. And when 40 years had expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of a fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled. And durst not behold. We just read in Exodus, he hid his face. <clears throat> because then, when God was revealing himself to Moses, you know, Moses was afraid of God at that point in his experience. 
But we read later on where God said, hey, wait a minute. I speak to others in a dream or a vision or some way, but me and Moses, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth. How's your relationship with the Lord? How does he speak to you? Uh, why is this triple refrain repeated over and over and over? The same passage occurs in each of these three Gospels. We just read it here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> Paul assures us what is contained in Scripture was written for our learning. There's something uh, here which is brought to our attention both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> um, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hold a special status in the providence of God. I know, I know, I'm well aware that the, the Muslim people... Uh, you know, they regard Abraham real high, probably Moses too. And, you know, there's different religions, if I could say that word carefully, in the world that regard these same men very high because they are high profile in history. But I'm speaking to you from the Word of God, the Bible view, the Bible perspective. God chose Abraham. Out of Ur of the Chaldees. He was an idol. He come from a family of idol worshipers. They didn't acknowledge God. But God reached over there and said, You are my man. I want you to go, and I'll tell you where I want you to go. <clears throat> so, uh, when we come to Abraham, we encounter in Scripture, in history, really, uh, one of the first, if not the first, example of a man chosen by God and God chose him. He was not yet a nation. Um, in Luke 13 and 28, he says, you shall, talking of the resurrection, you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. The Lord assures us we'll see them one day. <laughs> so, that being said, I want us to take a look at Abraham. Three altars of commitment in Abraham's life. Uh, through the period from Adam to Abraham, God spoke to men. We see it in Scripture. Uh, he, he used Noah. He fellowshiped and spoke with Adam. He did with Enoch. And so many of them he spoke to. <clears throat> but when God was speaking to Abraham, he appeared to him. We see that in Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. He appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia <clears throat> in that country where he called him out of. Uh, out of the disaster of the flood, one family had been saved and only eight total people. That was the family of Noah. We know that. <clears throat> but if you look at that in Scripture, the God's plan of bringing the ark along there, instructing Noah to preach, give them an opportunity to be saved. They did not. I'm saying the world, the people. God saved Noah, his three sons, and their Noah's wife and their wife, three wives, three sons. If you read in history of the Bible, the outcome of that generation, you see out of that family, what happened to mankind? Babel. The Tower of Babel came up. They were focused on themselves. We are going to do this. You know, idolatry spread out everywhere. But God wasn't defeated. He is said, I am the Alpha and Omega. Amen. His, his plan is going to get done. It transcends all human failure. Even though Noah's sons 
as a general overall thing, they failed to carry out God's plan. God reached out in there and reached over in there and picked out Abraham and said, you are going to carry it out. God cannot be defeated. Amen. Abraham was the first friend of God. There's other people in the scriptures uh, that have that phrase too. I'd like to be included someday. God let Abraham know his thoughts. Has the Lord ever let you know his thoughts? This is what I'm going to do. This is what I plan to do. He did Abraham. He had that kind of confidence in Abraham. In one place in scripture, he said, I know Abraham. He's going to command his children and they're going to follow. Noah probably tried commanding his, but apparently they didn't follow quite like Abraham's. <clears throat> so, in Abraham's life, as he went through time, and I wish I had a timeline that I could tell you, when God first spoke to Abraham, he was this age. And as time went on, and God promised him, I'll make of you a great nation. I'll give you a promised son. As time and all those years went by, and he gets to this place that we're going to talk about here, and he goes through these three altars of commitment. Yeah. I, w I, I went to find out, and I didn't, how old is Abraham now? How much time? Because a lot of times when we read of great men, we think things just fell in their lap. And, and we read where God spoke to them. We think they were always hearing from God. You know, every day they got up, they just heard from God, and everything just went fine. No. They were human just like we are. God did speak to them. But they had to, to work with the Lord, and the Lord worked with them in carrying out His promises and their experience with God. <clears throat> so, as we see Abraham, and, and I should have had these scriptures lined out here, and I don't mean to confuse you in any way, but we see uh, Abraham was spoken to by God and life went along and then God appeared to Abraham again and spoke to him again. One time that he spoke to him again was in Shechem or some people may pronounce it Shechem. Uh, God spoke to him just a brief sentence. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And if we read in scripture, Abraham built an altar to the Lord in that place. <clears throat> there are three altars, or if we could say it this way, three tests that God put Abraham through here. In Genesis 12 and 7, the altar was at Shechem or Shechem. And the second altar was in chapter 12, uh, 8 and chapter 12, uh, chapter 13, verse 4. The second altar was Bethel. Altar one was in Shechem. The altar second one was in Bethel, the house of God. <laughs> then he went south. I wonder if that's where that phrase comes from. But he went south to Egypt. What was Abraham doing going to Egypt when the Lord said, this is the land where I want you? Look what happened in Egypt. He started a pattern in his family of telling a half-truth. His son did the same thing. You got to be careful what we do. <clears throat> but the second altar was at Bethel. The third one was in Hebron. These are three special places sanctified by an altar. <clears throat> God has no use for a place where there's no altar. Help me, Lord. Does your home, and more importantly, does your heart have an altar for God where you and the Lord meet together? On his part, he communes with you. On your part, you sacrifice to him. We don't do it with dead animals anymore. We do it with living things. Number one, Ourself, right. our body, yeah. and our complete person, not just our body. <clears throat> so, the name Shechem or Shechem means in the Hebrew 
a shoulder. To the Hebrew, and here, it is the place of great strength. Abraham is learning of God's great strength. There's a difference in strength and power. But here, he's, this is a place of strength. God's strength. It is a place of victory. It is a place, now listen, where enemies are cast out and kept out. If you will, where God's strength, his shoulder, pushes them out and he keeps them out. This is the experience here in Shechem or Shechem. The well of Sychar is there. Remember, woman at the well. That's where it is, right there. The Lord told him in John 4 and 14, you know, his words was to the woman, whosoever drinks of this water that I give shall never thirst. Yeah. Talking about strength. How would you like to drink some water and never thirst again? <laughs> I'm glad I've tasted of that water. Amen. <clears throat> How are we going to do it? Pass it on to the next generation. That's right. Yes. We talked about it briefly in Sunday school this morning. Paul said, Follow me as we follow Christ, of course. But he said, follow me. <clears throat> Those who are always empty, always thirsty, always seeking for this or that, never satisfied, they are weak and of little use to God. <laughs> Maybe I should repeat that, but I'm just saying we got to be careful, examine our experience with the Lord. Have we sacrificed an altar to him at this first location? Surrender to God and experience God's shoulder, his strength that makes us satisfied, not dissatisfied. Some people paint the picture, tragically so, that a Christian is all-time... Um, I have to be careful here. Jesus, help me. Christian experience is all time in the desperata mood or mode. All time, every, every time you see a person, they're in crisis mode. Life on this earth, Jesus said you're going to have tribulation and trouble. It will come. But our every breath should not be crisis. It should be strength God's provision he we should there's an old song and I wish I could remember the verses but uh some one of the old singers used to sing you know satisfied no troubles will ever get me down when my eyes are closing death with my Jesus I'll be at rest then you'll know I'm satisfied how many Christians you know are satisfied I'm not saying complacent but satisfied that he has made it in our experience to give us strength to stand to push the enemy out and keep him out Abraham had an altar there <clears throat> this satisfied this signifies satisfaction full and complete in the strength of the Lord Abraham's going through here. He's making a sacrifice here. And, and as he went on in the land where God said, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring, <clears throat> he comes uh, and receives from the Lord strength. And then he comes to Bethel. Why was Bethel necessary as well as Shechem? In spite of Shechem, uh, men are still independent and individualistic. Sometimes when we are saved, the Lord gives us strength. He, we experience salvation. We experience the great joy and satisfaction of the Lord. If we're not careful in ourselves, we will become independent. And think, I can stand, I can handle, I can do. God wants us not to be a heap, but a house. 
And the reason I say that, if you look back in the scripture, what city is right close to Bethel? Does anybody remember? That little two-letter word. When the Israelites went over in the promised land, and they was right up against Jericho, they thought, yeah, that's a little city on the hill right over here. We can just knock it out. Just send a few of them up there. And we'll knock them out, and we'll be all right. And they didn't ask the Lord. And the Lord didn't say go. They went on their own strength, and boom, 30-something men was killed, and they'd come running back. What in the world? And the Lord let Joshua know. They sent in the camp. Yes. That place called Ai. Not artificial intelligence, but AI. As, as Marshall would say, lowercase i. <laughs> but <laughs> it is denoted, and as they, when they finally did defeat AI, it became a heap. But Bethel is a house of God. There's a lot in this world that goes by the name of the house of God. We have access like never before to places that are called Bethel, house of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm not beating up on anyone or trying to call out any name necessarily, but be careful. Make sure you're anchored in the word of God and don't get sidetracked by a lot of this uh, fancy stuff going on. <clears throat> Shechem must come to Bethel. Abraham did. Uh, and I believe that was after he had went down to Egypt, disobeyed the Lord, lied about his wife. Then he had to pray for him. He had to get out of that. He went through that experience. This shows us Abraham as human like we are. Yes, yes. But God's working out his plan. And he'll do the same for us if we will work with him. God must deliver us from the whole principle of being so independent. It is the house of God, the house of God, that is his witness in the earth. Here it is called Bethel. <clears throat> when things work like God wants them to work, by the grace of God, unity Christians live together in unity. Even hell takes notice. When they're at disunity, it counsels out the work of God. It hinders the work of God. It pushes people away from God. No wonder the devil works so hard so we don't get a bet, go to Bethel. He wants to stay at Ai and just be a heap. <clears throat> Our tent must be pitched not towards Sodom, but it must be pitched between Ai and Bethel. We must face the house of God. For if we're not facing the house of God, we're facing Ai. Amen. And that heap represents all that we've tried to do on our own that got us in trouble. Yes. And it is just nothing but an ash heap in our life. We need to turn from that and face Bethel. Like Abraham finally did. <clears throat> uh, only if our back is to this are we facing that. <laughs> Geographically also. But you cannot face your ashes of your life and the house of God too. you got to face Bethel. So many people say, I look at it like this. In my humble opinion, so and so. I feel this way. <laughs> we love to glory in our opinions. We've got to be very careful to allow God to judge our nature. Cast all of old self on the heap and go to Bethel, the house of God, and surrender to the Lord and hear him speak to us there. You know, May God have mercy on us when we dare to think that the church is wrong and we are right. I've seen people like that. And that is an awful, awful place to be. I hope you're not that way. Uh, then you say, you know, all this talk about the old nature is such negative. Tell us something positive. 
You must have your old nature killed, sacrificed at Bethel. When, when a child is born in the world, they don't have to try to find out how to live or where life is coming from. They just live. They're not ashamed to cry, say I'm hungry in their own way, and do many other things. They just live it. The believer who's born again don't have to puzzle out how his life is going to work. Our life is like Paul has been saying in our Sunday school lessons, in Christ is our life. It should be spontaneous. It should be natural in that sense, the flow of life from God. Uh, there's an altar at Bethel and God receives what is offered there. <clears throat> we may sometimes, it's the scripture, we may sometimes depart to Egypt, but God will bring us back. Thank the Lord that he brings us back and don't say, just go your own way and forget it. Then Abraham moved on to Hebron. There he built his third altar. In this altar, in this place, this name, these names mean these things. Strength, the house of God. Hebron means a league. And in New Testament terms, it could we could substitute the word with fellowship. God is teaching Abraham, you, even though you have my strength, you must depend on me. And then you must and you need fellowship with me and with my people, my body. Certainly it is in fellowship together uh, that we share the life of Christ, but it's in this fellowshipping with each other that the Christian life is put to the proof. We can say a lot of things, do a lot of things, but when it comes right down to the level of fellowship, our life will be put to the proof. <clears throat> Bethel represents the life in the body of Christ. Hebron represents the principle of living that life out. There's no way to get to Hebron but through Bethel. Fellowship in Christ is quite natural and effortless if we go God's way. It flows spontaneously. Uh, God often brings the most spiritually mature people up against a blank wall in order to teach them this. In our day and time, we have to be careful because we, we can hear We can hear other preachers. <laughs> we can hear other people say, you know, I heard so-and-so say, you know, if you're really living for the Lord, you won't have this or you will have that. You know, you've got to be careful. We'll deceive ourselves into thinking, especially if we're not full of his word, we will deceive ourselves into thinking, you know, ah, what I've been taught all my life, I've got to run off over yonder to so-and-so. And, and, and sometimes when we come up against something we can't deal with alone by ourselves, then we discover the necessity of fellowship with others in the Lord. When we do that, it produces a new fruitfulness in our life. I know we are an independent church, but we do fellowship. And uh, sometimes, you know, when people on the outside looking in, they may think, you know, different things. And uh, some of it just is nothing but just things. And so we need to make sure that we personally are in fellowship with the Lord first and in fellowship with each other. So when we come to these places of testing, we know that God has, has, how can I say it, created, made yes. us to fellowship right. one with another. The factor that links all these three altars together, these places together, is the altar unto the Lord. 
At the altar, God accepts only Christ. How in the world, living in 2023, can we do like Abraham? Because we need to. How can we go in our experience with the Lord and make an altar to God and offer a sacrifice on that altar pleasing to the Lord? How do we do that? One way, I believe, and the way that we should do it is we should have an altar at home, an altar in our heart, yes. But there is also certain things that happen in the fellowship of the church and the altar at the church. Not only do we serve notice on ourselves, on the angels that's looking on, and all the witnesses that are here, when we approach the altar, we are saying, I am coming before the Lord and I am giving of myself everything, not holding back. <clears throat> See what Abraham done when he got looking around? And one side note, if you'll remember, when he went to Egypt, what happened? He got in the wrong he, he got to tell him things that wasn't true about his wife. Scared of the pagans. Somewhere along the way, he picked up an Egyptian maid. And then later on in time, Sarah said, well, it looked like the Lord's dragging his feet and he ain't going to do what he said. I'm going to put it in my words. You know, you might want to just try, you know, having a child by her. <clears throat> we got to be careful Amen. not to get sidetracked. Abraham got sidetracked. But there came a time in Abraham's life that the Lord said, here's what you got to do. And he told him, Hagar and Ishmael, he thrust them out. He didn't do it in a bad way. He did it because he was not the son of promise. She has to be pushed out. That's a whole nother thing. But I'm just saying, if we look at the life of Abraham and these altars of commitment, how he committed to the Lord and God worked with Abraham all these years. What was Abraham's age when God first came to him, you know, and they had that covenant and he split the animal and darkness fell on him and the Lord told him, you know, your seed's going to be down in Egypt 430 years. I'm going to bring them out. And he told him all these things. Now Abraham is old and heathen. I don't know, but time. I mean, many days the sun came up and Abraham probably never heard from God. What did he do? He got a little sidetracked sometimes. But if you look at the whole picture, Abraham, rock solid. And God just kept on testing Abraham. And even after the son of promise came, Isaac, God told Abraham one day, hey, Take him up to the mountain. <laughs> That's a whole nother level of commitment. And Abraham passed the test. He didn't have the Bible like we got. What is your excuse? What is mine? We have none. We do not have any excuse. So I hope that you can learn from these altars of commitment and follow the Lord and go according to his word and your experience with God Amen. and be willing to go if be so and I know Abraham was at time out of his comfort zone but he followed the Lord even if he bobbled he was he admitted it and said oh God you promised me back yonder I'm going to follow you and believe you it, the Bible says when he got into that test with Isaac he believed that God was able to raise him up from the dead do you believe God is able to raise up your children and your promises you thought have died? You believe God is able to raise them up from the dead? That's the kind of God we serve. Amen. We must have that kind of faith in the Lord. I hope you got something out of this tonight. 
I, I'm afraid I, I feel like I've just scattered into the wind almost. <clears throat> I hope you're interested, regardless of your age, enough to examine the Word of God, look through the Scriptures, and see how wonderful the Lord has given us all of these things. What for? To learn of Him and to walk and let our moderation be known to all men, like Paul said in our Sunday school lesson this morning. And he told us why. For the Lord is at hand. I'm afraid sometimes in America, at least, I don't know how it is in other countries, we, we may picture, we may perceive or think that Lord is uh, busy somewhere or uh, I, I don't know how to put it in words. Uh, I know we say he's omnipresent and all these things according to scripture. And I believe that. But sometimes I think we live as if he's too busy for me. Paul said he's at hand. That's right. Yes. I want the Lord to be at hand. Amen. Amen. Let us stand. I have a song or music. <clears throat> I would like for each of us to look at our lives and ask the Lord or really tell the Lord, Lord, I come to you. I want to be like Abraham. I want to give my entire life to you. And if you're in the place of your experience where you have done that, that's wonderful. I think we have to do it more than one time. <laughs> and desire the fellowship of God and the fellowship with the brethren. God so designed it that we can help each other make it through this world to that next world. Amen. And do it with joy. Amen. What does the song say? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, how's your Christian experience? Do you experience the glory of God, the joy of the Lord? I hope you do. We can get that renewed in us. Amen. So let's gather and pray and ask the Lord. Tell the Lord. <laughs> and ask him to speak to you and listen. And tell the Lord, I surrender all to you. Amen. Let's come and pray.
Till 